maybe in heaven, you know, batteries won't die. <laughs> well, if you have your Bible, please open it to Psalm 119. You know, the, the Psalms are, are a home for your, your soul. They're springtime to the soul. You know, the Psalms, they, they really do speak for us. They, they speak of our life experiences, the ups and downs, the struggles, the frustrations, the joys, you know, and even the pains that, that we go through. And then we've, we've, been walk, we've walked through some of these Psalms of throughout the past few weeks. You know, in Psalm 116, we talked about no walking in confidence. And in Psalm 103, we talked about walking in grateful praise. And last week, my friend Reverend Brad Ease preached on Psalm 37. You know, he talked about three lies and the truth. This morning, we're going to continue our walk. We're going to continue our journey. And we're going to begin by walking through Psalm 119. And no, we're not going to go through all 176 verses. I know that's what you're thinking. We're going to talk through all those verses? We're just going to look at the first eight verses. Four verses this week and four verses next week. And in this psalm, the, the, the psalmist talks about you know, having an undivided heart and an undivided life. He talks about walking in wholeness. Walking in blessed wholeness. And so if you have your Bible, Psalm 119, beginning in verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes, and I should not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I would praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. This is God's word. Please pray with and for me. Fathers, we come to the preaching of your truth. We, we desperately, desperately need the Spirit. We sometimes forget that he's part of the Godhead. We sometimes substitute him with ourselves. As if we're part of the Godhead. But we need the Holy Spirit in this journey. We need him when it comes to receiving and preaching of your word, Lord. He is our helper. And nothing gets done in this life apart from him moving in the hearts of sinful men and women. So, Holy Spirit, we pray to you. As the third person in the Trinity, we pray to you that you will come. That you will move in our hearts. You know what we need. You see us, those who know Jesus and those who don't know Jesus. Holy Spirit, we pray that you will move in this place. And that when we leave here, we'll leave here changed people. Because we had a true encounter with the one true God. It is in Christ's name I pray. Amen. To walk in blessed wholeness requires you to be bad. Bad. You have to, have to be bad to, to, to walk in blessed holiness. Yes, bad. B-A-D. Now, I know what you're thinking. Wonder what you mean by that, Pastor Alex. I have kids here. <laughs> you know, bear with me. 
I'm going to explain what I mean because I don't want to get any emails on Monday. Or, nor do I want you to be talking about me in the parking lot and over lunch. You see, bad is an adjective that can be used both positively and negatively. For example, if, if someone commits a heinous crime, like what happened on the campus of UCLA this week, that person could be labeled a bad person because they did something morally evil. In that circumstance, you no know, bad would be used negatively because someone did something horribly wrong. But now, if I'm watching Game 7 or the Western Conference Finals, and I'll see Steph Curry cross over Kevin Durant, I may jump up and say, man, Steph Curry's a bad man. <laughs> now, in, in that circumstance, bad is being used positively because Kevin Durant, Steph Curry's crossover was a great move, an awesome move. And so like Steph Curry, I'm going to do a crossover move today with bad. I'm going to use it in a good way, in a positive way, this week and next week. Because you have to be bad to, to walk in wholeness. You have to be a bad woman, a bad man. Bad, you see, is an acronym for balance, acceptance, dependency. Balance, acceptance, dependency. You have to have balance. You have to have acceptance. And you have to have dependence to walk in wholeness. You need all three. So you want to be bad people? Then walk with me through this song. We're going to focus on the first four verses uh, this week. And in these verses, the psalmist deals with the being bad. He shows us what it means to walk in balance. And balance, as a noun, is a condition in which things are equal. Different things, different elements are equal. Balance as a, as a verb means to keep things in a steady position. And there are two things that Christians must keep in a steady position in their life, in their walk. And a Christian is a person who has saving faith in Jesus. That's what a Christian is. That's what a believer is. It's a person who, who has confessed her sins to Jesus, a person who sees that, that she is a sinner and separated from God and even under God's wrath. It's a person who, who trusts and surrenders to Jesus as both Lord and Savior. For there is only one name given under heaven by which we can be saved. And that name is who? Jesus. Jesus. You come to him to have all your sins forgiven. And so now if you, if you do know him this morning... There are two things you must keep in balance in your life. And these two things you must keep in balance, and these two things you must keep in balance on the seesaw of the Christian journey. Notice I said seesaw. Seesaw. Because these two things that sit on opposite ends of the seesaw that keeps going up and down. It's up and down. It's up and down. And there's tension to try to keep that seesaw balanced, to keep it at level. On one end of the seesaw is what I call a life of integrity. It's a life of kingdom integrity. You need integrity to have balance. And, and that's just what the psalm is saying in verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. What comes to, your, come to mind when you hear the term blameless? What comes to mind? Is the, psalmist, the psalmist appears to be saying happy are those who, whose way is perfect. 
Happy are those who have it all together. Happy are those whose life is tied up in a nice little bow, a nice big red bow. You know, the kind of bow you see on those car commercials during Christmas time. Is that what he's talking about? Blessed are those who are perfect. No, that's not the case. Blameless is not talking about perfection. He's talking about integrity in this verse. Because integrity means whole, it means to be whole, it means to be undivided. It's, it's to be honest, it's to be trustworthy and ethical. Integrity is an internal quality that shows itself in your actions. It's a heart issue. It's a character trait. That's what integrity is. And that's what he's talking about in this verse. Happy are those whose way is the way of integrity. Blessed is the integrity way. The Hebrew term for way means it's a metaphor for someone's character. It's a metaphor for someone's moral character, the characteristics of a person. It refers to a person's attributes. And Booker T. Washington says, character, not circumstance, makes the person. Character, not circumstance, makes the person. And he's right on. Your character is who you really are as a person. Who you really are when no one's looking who you are when you don't think you're going to be found out. Blessed are those who have the character trait of integrity. Now, as I was writing the sermon, I, I asked myself two questions. One question was, what's the big deal with integrity? That was one question I was thinking about. Another one was, what's so special about it that the psalmist says those who have it are blessed? Because integrity is not an exclusive character trait just for Christians. Non-Christians have integrity, right? Do you, are, you, are, you friend, are you friends with non-Christians? Okay. Yes, there are non-Christians that have integrity. I recently traveled to Richmond, Virginia to speak at a church retreat. And on the flight back, I was seated next to this, uh, young, this lady from California. Now, I wasn't planning on having any type of conversation. I just wanted to read my book. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit kept you know, getting on my nerves and, and mo- moving me to say something. And he wasn't going to leave me alone until I did. And so I initiated a conversation with her. And it turns out she was visiting Richmond because her friend just had a new baby, and she traveled all the way from California to, to visit with her friend. And I told her I was there to, to speak at a church retreat. And so that opened the door for me to talk about the gospel, to talk about the church, to talk about my faith. And she, showed, she talked about her job. She showed me pictures of her family. I showed her pictures of my family. Now, she was a really nice person. She loved her life. She was enjoying life. She loved her family. She loved her friends. I sensed that she was a good moral person, just living her life the best that she could. And you know what? She's an atheist. She's an atheist. Don't know Jesus. Have no desire to know Jesus. But yet she has good character. Nice person. You had, we had a wonderful, ju- non-judgmental conversation about faith, about what I believe, and about what she believes. And guess what? They're, the world is filled with people just like this lady. Non-believers who have good and honest character. Non-believers who, who have integrity. They have this because they're created in the image of God. That's why. You see, integrity isn't the big deal. That's not what's special. The psalmist isn't saying 
blessed or happy are those who have good character. Because anybody can have good character. The blessing isn't simply having integrity. The blessing comes when your character is rooted in the right source. Grounded in the right source, in the right soil. There are tons of self-help books, philosophy books, that talk about character and integrity. Books that are about you being a better person, being a better you. And there's nothing wrong with seeing human beings flourish. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is that our flourishing ends up being anchored in man-centeredness. In us. Integrity can be rooted in, in, in you. Your honest character can be your righteousness. Your honest character can be your means of salvation. It can be your claim to fame. I'm a good person. That's what makes me who I am. And at the end of the day, my goodness is going to outweigh my badness. If there is a God, then he's going to take into account all the good I've done. Then I'll be okay. Good and honest character never makes anyone right with God. Only Christ does that through his finished work on the cross. So the psalmist's point, his point here is that happy are those whose integrity is anchored in God, whose good and honest character is being shaped by Jesus. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Then he adds, who walk in the law of the Lord. You cannot separate those two verses. They go together. Happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. To walk refers to one's lifestyle. It means you're walking in something. To walk in something means you're living in it. True Alabama fans aren't fair weather fans. Have you ever met a bandwagon Alabama fan in Alabama? They walk in that Alabama fandom. I don't care if Alabama's losing. They don't change their loyalty. They are not divided. They, they have fandom integrity, I'm telling you, when it comes to Alabama football. They, gonna, they, they bleed it. I sometimes think kids are born with Alabama step on their back. Do you as a believer have that type of integrity when it comes to Jesus? When it comes to your walk with him? True Christians living with kingdom integrity will have a desire to walk in the law of the Lord. They're not divided in their loyalty. They don't have one foot in, one foot out. They're not fair-weather fans. They're not bandwagon church hoppers. They strive to submit to God's word. They have integrity. They live a life of kingdom integrity that is rooted in God and God's word and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Kingdom integrity is characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. Because remember, integrity is a character issue. It's a heart issue. And kingdom integrity is cultivated by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. What are they? Love, joy, peace, kindness, faithfulness, genuineness, self-control. If you're walking in kingdom integrity, you should see these things being cultivated in your life, in your heart. And these are the fruit that, that will enable you to walk in the law of God. Now, I know some of you may feel a little uncomfortable because your legalism senses are going off. You're like Spider-Man. Your spotty senses are going off, and you can spot legalism. You're like, you're like the Sherlock Holmes of spotting legalism. You can uncover it. Be at ease, people. Be at ease. Calm down. 
The psalmist is not talking about legalism. He's not talking about moralism. He's not talking about you trying to earn your own salvation by following all the rules of the law. He's not talking about you trying to earn the Father's love by being perfectly obedient. He's not talking about those things. He's talking about believers striving to submit and live a lifestyle that honors God. The Hebrew, do you know that the Hebrew word for law is Torah? When Torah isn't rules and regulations, Torah means instruction. It means direction. Good parents give direction and instruction to their kids. They, don't, they set limits. They set boundaries. Why would we expect anything less of God the Father? Will you parent your kids and say, you know, you go do what you want to do. You, you have no limits. Oh, you want to step on that long paper in your game? Good. Good. That's, I want you to do that. No good parent does not parent their kids without giving them any limits. We shouldn't expect God to do that for us. His instruction. That's what the Torah means. His instructions to you. And God's law is his fatherly instruction for the well-being of his sons and daughters in a fallen, broken world. His law isn't just a list of do's and don'ts. It's for your good. It's for your benefit. And you don't walk in it to earn favor. You walk in it because you already got it. There's a difference. You walk in it because you already got it. If you don't know him, you can't walk in his ways. You can't walk in his instruction. You won't submit to it. You can go through the motions. You can fool me, but you can't fool the Father. Proverbs 4, 1 says, Hear, O son, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts, and do not forsake my teaching. God is a father to his people. And his instructions for you, they give you limits, they give you boundaries, and they also give you freedoms and responsibilities. Both and, not either or. Only believers can have this type of integrity, and only believers can walk and submit to God's Father instruction. And so kingdom integrity, it enables you to walk in God's fatherly direction to you, his benefits to you. And that instruction sits on one end of the seesaw. That's one end of the seesaw. And that end of the seesaw has to be balanced with something else. It has to also be balanced with what I call a life of affection. A life of affection. A life of integrity deals with the way you live your life. And a life of affection deals with the affections of your heart. What truly has you. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart with all carefulness, for it is the well spring of life. In Jeremiah 17.9 said, The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? God can understand it. He knows what your sick heart needs, and it ain't the thing you desire. He knows that your heart longs for him. That incompleteness, that lack of fulfillment, that never been satisfied, that is your heart cry for a Savior. And God knows that's what every lost person needs and every believer needs. He knows your heart. He knows if he has your heart, he has you. Ezekiel 36 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. 
From all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone. Think about those words. This is God the Father. This is Yahweh Elohim talking to his people. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. Notice the pronouns that have been used there. And ain't you doing it. He's doing it. I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes. Notice that. I will cause you to walk in my ways. That's what he's saying. That is what the Father does. He wants your heart. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek, his, who seek him with their whole heart. The heart. Did I miss something here? I think I did. All right. One of those Sundays. God the Father isn't simply interested in behavior modification. He ain't simply interested in people just following all the rules. He just simply ain't interested in people having good character. Because anybody can have good character. He wants a heart transformation. That's what he wants. And that heart transformation is what many Christians call regeneration. I know that's a, a theological term, but that's, that's, your, that's a heart of stone being transformed into a heart of flesh. And when that happens, when your heart of stone has been, been turned into a heart of flesh, guess what? You would accept Jesus in saving faith. If a person's heart has not been changed, then they would never come to Jesus in faith. And when that heart change has happened, you accept him. You receive him. And when that happens... Your desires begin to change. You begin to long more for the things of God. It means you want the rhythm of your heart to beat to his heart rhythm. You want his will to control your life, to control your heart. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. What does it mean by testimonies? Testimonies, testimonies of the Lord refers to what he testifies to be his will. That's what testimonies mean. What he testifies to be his will. He wants his will to set up shop in your heart. That's what he wants. He wants you to keep his testimonies in your heart. He wants his will to govern your heart. Remember, the heart is the wellspring of life. Jesus himself says, whatever proceeds from the mouth of man comes from the heart. It comes from the heart. He wants your heart. And one Christian says, God demands the sincere, honest affection of our heart. The sincere and honest affections of our heart. For whatever has your heart, it has all your love, it has all your affection, it has all your loyalty. It has all your priorities. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's the Heavenly Father your treasure. Is Jesus your treasure? Or is he just songs you sing about on Sunday? Does he have the affections of your heart? 
What did Christ accomplish for us through his death and resurrection? Was it just about simply we get to go to heaven when we die? Is it just that? Is it just repayment of our sin? Is it just him counseling out our sin debt? He does all of that. But he also brought reconciliation to a broken relationship. And that broken relationship between Yahweh Elohim and his people, mankind, those who were created in his image. And so those who come to faith in Christ have a restored relationship with God the Father, a covenant relationship with him, one that is loving, one in which you can seek him with your heart. Do you know that you can love God back? Did you know that? That you can actually enjoy him. You can actually fellowship with him. You can actually commune with him. Did you know that? Tell you what, I'm all off track this morning. Y'all got to bear with your pastor. My notes are everywhere. I tell you, you, you work hard and, and, and look what happens. Lord have mercy. I done lost the note. They done fallen off the face of the earth. Uh, there we go. Man. Try to get in rhythm and there you go. As I was saying, the blessing here in this section isn't simply you keeping God's will. The blessing is keeping his will in the context of a relationship. A covenant relationship. Do you love God? Or do you just work for him? Do you just do things for him? Do you love him? Do you have a desire to spend time with him? A life of kingdom integrity and a life of affection, they sit on opposite ends of the seesaw. And both of them must be kept in balance in your life. Yes, we should live a life that honors Christ. Yes, we should serve him. Yes, we should love our neighbor. Yes, we should be engaged in the Great Commission. That's part of what we do as believers. But on this side, we should also have a relationship with him where we love him, where we commune with him, where we fellowship with him. But oftentimes, it's like this. The tension. The tension. And we live in that tension on this side of heaven. Many of us, we live unbalanced lives because we focus our time on one end of the seesaw. Some of us, we, we love, we work for Jesus. We go to the community. We, we share our faith. We, we are serving the church. We're singing in the choir. We'll do all these things for him. We'll work, we'll work, we'll work. We'll do a lot of, we'll perform for him. But we don't love him. Our relationship is more of a boss, an employee type relationship, which is really no relationship at all. But we don't have a heart affection for God. I got to tell you, I say this in our leadership training, all the martyrs who have lost their life for the faith didn't simply do it because of theology. They didn't simply do it because it was the right thing to do. 
Think about all the Christians who died. Think about all my brothers and sisters who were burned to the stake in the first century church. You think they did that because they worked for Jesus? They did it because they loved Jesus. And they believed Jesus. They had a relationship with him that was not just on performance. They had one in which they knew, an intimate one, in which they knew and believed that not even death could separate them from their Savior. That's what will allow you to lay down your life That's what will allow you to persevere when things get bad in our country. When we're no longer the focal point, when we're on the margins of life. It's going to be our faith and our love for Jesus. Believing that he's with us to the end. We've got to have a relationship. Now there also is a tendency on the other end of the seesaw is is that we have a tendency to, to, to just make it all about the heart. To make it all about a relationship. When you overhear it, it's all about, it's just me and Jesus. He's my boyfriend type thing. Me and Jesus on the beach. Me and Jesus in relationship. It ain't, it's Jesus in isolation of all the other people who are Christians. It's just me and Jesus. I ain't even got to go to church to be with Jesus. I ain't even got to be around other believers. It's just you and Jesus. Individualistic Christianity that's not connected to the body of Christ. You need the body. You need other brothers and sisters. We don't value the body as much as we should. Because one of the things when you read about the suffering church is that they're just glad to be around people who like them. But not the domination affiliation. When you're under the stick of oppression or persecution, you just want to be around other believers who say, you love Jesus, I love you. Well, let's be together. We divide more so over anything instead of coming together. The one thing that draws us together is the cross. It's what Christ has done for us. Do we believe that? The good news for all of us, again, is a few weeks ago, the Father knows that we are but this, and he knows our frame. And that when it comes to keeping this balance, that you don't do it in your own strength. It's done through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you, that lives in me. And so you got to know it. This is just a supernatural, it's a spiritual warfare. When I was in college, that's when I became a believer, my freshman year. That's where I learned how to read the Bible. That's where I learned how to have quiet times. That's where I learned how to share the gospel. That's where I learned how to memorize scripture. And I was enjoying it. I was soaking it up. And I was serving the Lord. I was involved in campus ministry. I was leading guys to Christ. I was leading Bible studies. And so I was, back in those days, I thought I was a super Christian. Because I was doing all this work for Jesus. Many of us, we have what we call the golden age of our Christian life. And it's always in the past. Well, when I was in college, I used to do this. Before I got married, I used to do this. Before the kids came, I used to do this. Before I got older, I used to do this. We're always looking back to what we used to do. Please understand, you change throughout your life. And ministry and what it looks like for you living in the kingdom is going to change. You ain't ever going to be in college again if if you're out of college. And it's okay. Those things were seasons in your life. 
There's no such thing as the golden age of your Christian experience. The golden age of Christian experience was when Christ died on the cross. And so you have to learn to adapt to the seasons that God has you in. On that seesaw life, it's going to be, it's never going to be still. The tension is going to always be there. It doesn't mean you've fallen off. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It just means you're in the struggle, baby. We're all in struggle with you. We all feel the tension. But the good news of the gospel is that Christ says he would be with you to the end. And it's up to you to believe it. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that in the tension, the tension in which we live, we're trying to keep balance and trying to keep order, not trying to live in one-sidedness. It's hard. But thanks be to God that we're not left to do it on our own. Thanks be to God that, 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 that you are with us. Thanks be to God for the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Thanks be to God that you are with us to the very end and that you know what it's like. And so as we go out this week and engage in this world, Help us to go out with confidence. Help us to step out in balance. Help us to step out in knowing that no matter what we go through, you will never forsake us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.